Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers, Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Who Do Justice Magic, binaural production engineer, Damian Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, monthly co-host, Jared Murphy, author of it's not aliens, it's worse, it's us. And monthly co-host Cap Baldwin, author of The Forgiveness Workshop. And this episode is being sponsored by tarotbyginger.com. You can find her at www.tarotbyginger.com. And if you're looking to find out what things are influencing your life and energies surrounding certain situations to help you make better decisions, I definitely recommend checking her out. And now, without further ado, my guest for today is Michelle Freed, and Michelle is a remote viewer. She's pretty much an expert in all things paranormal, um, and uh, she's also done a lot with helping me with this booking my show. So thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me. So for those people that are not familiar with your work, uh, can you give me a little background, tell people you know where you came from and how you got to where you are now? Um, well, I was on a journey like a lot of people and, um, decided to, um, take a, um, my best friend that I grew up with, um, she was teaching, teaching psychic development classes and, um, she asked me to take these classes and at first I thought, well, that's only for people that were born with it. Um, but she said, no, no, it's for everyone. And I'm kind of a skeptical believer. So I was not really sure what to expect and if I even believed that I could do it. Um, so as the class was going on, more and more things were happening. And, um, I got to a point where I couldn't explain it away anymore. It was like, oh my gosh, like, I don't, I can't even explain how I knew that or whatever. So it piqued my in- interest and I started looking into, um, you know, more things that I could do. Um, and I'm currently based in Chicago and they're not really in general, they're not really into psychic or the mm. word psychic. So I kind of, um, looked for things that I could kind of support myself and um, something that the community would be open to. So I, I took courses and became a hypnotherapist. And um, and then that brought me to remote viewing. Um, and um, I'm not sure if, I think I told you that um, I was a producer for Art Bell. Yes. Um, so that kind of also uh, brought me into this world. Um, Sometimes I think I should have a PhD in everything unexplained <laughs> just because of talking to so many people all the time. And, um, you know, and we have to do a pre-interview where we had to do a pre-interview. So I would stick my own personal question in there. Um, so I kind of got, you know, a little advantage mm-hmm. by talking to some of these cool people. Oh, yeah. I, I kind of feel the same way, too, after doing almost five <laughs> Um, so with the remote viewing um, how did you learn how to remote view 
And what do you do with that now? Because I, I took a course not too long ago from one of my guests, who was David Morehouse, to learn how to do it. And I was completely blown away by the results of it. it it's really kind of almost like life-changing. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. You hit the nail on the head with that. I don't think people... Um, I've come to the conclusion that people just can't understand what remote viewing is unless they experience it, you know, and that's kind of what I want to do because I'm so obsessed with remote viewing and I want people to be doing it because you could be using this in your everyday life. You know, anything that um, you have a question about, you can remote view it and the process alone um, the methodology of remote viewing um, is also um, a really amazing place for you to learn about yourself and your inner self. And um, I learned an incredible amount of lessons that I apply to my, my not remote viewing life, my everyday life. And um, it's almost like a Zen you know, it, it, it could be like a Zen um, method or right. something like that to get you to um, pretty much let go of what you think and who you think you are. And <clears throat> and it's, um, you know, not everybody can do that. You know, it's just kind of drilling down, peeling away the onion layers and just come to the inner self, the oneness. And um, that is kind of a byproduct of learning remote viewing um, in this way. Um, how I came to it is through this psychic development class. Um, she exposed us to, she taught us a quick and dirty kind of remote viewing real quick. And I did it and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is for me. I mean, everything about it was aligned with kind of how I think, communicate, how my wires uh, how I'm wired and things like that. So uh, that's pretty much how I, I started on the track. When you have started having success with the psychic classes in remote viewing, how did that change your perception of reality? Well, I just, I was opened up that there's more than, than this. And one of the biggest lessons um, are kind of, reinforcing what my father used to always say to me. He always said, I hope I get this right, um, believe um, none of what you hear and half of what you see. I think I'm saying mm -hmm. that right. But he used to always say that, and I didn't really grasp what that meant. Um, and it's really, it has, through remote viewing and psychic development, has really opened up this idea of, you know, what we're perceiving in the world is based on, you know, kind of like what glasses we're wearing today and how we see the world. And, you know, you can have, for example, um, a family unit where you have three children and when they grow up and they talk about their life experience in your family unit, all three of them are going to describe their parents in a different way. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's as if you had three different sets of parents, but you all grew up the same. And it's really, um, if you can let go, like, you know, I'm saying let go of that 
and just kind of come to this oneness. And um, that is where you become a really great remote viewer um, because we're bypassing all the perceptions of what we think something is. So when you remote view, is it similar to astral travel or is there something different like accessing Akashic records? So um, I, I would say that in my experience with outer body experience and remote viewing, um, and then I'm going to also add a little hypnosis in here. Um, so the first answer is um, that, well, the first answer is within hypnosis. We, we uh, look at the brain and we divide it up into three sections. Uh, normal science will divide it into like conscious and unconscious. But in hypnotherapy, we kind of add subconscious to, to this, um, uh, to the idea. And in the subconscious, everything that we say, think is connected to a feeling or an emotion. Because in the subconscious, we can't communicate with language really. It's symbolic or it's feeling. And we store permanent memory in our subconscious. And to me, that connects us right to what we call the Akashic Records. It's the place of all knowing. And that's how we are lined up. So when you're remote viewing, I feel like you're tapping into the all knowing. You're projecting your subconscious to a target. And then you're reporting back. So for me, I... It's not the, um, I guess you can set an intention to kind of actually go to the location or whatever, but we're really just, I kind of see it as poking your head through, you know, like a portal and looking mm -hmm. around where in an astral travel, it's like you're actually going to that location. Um, and, and then you can, um, kind of have an experience like that. I think it's about intention, you know, because you can remote view and people have actually projected in, into this location or target. Um, but um, we don't really, we're kind of, because we have a balance of the left brain and right brain because we write things down. So you're not completely letting go. You're kind of going back and forth to report what's going on. Um, does that make sense? It makes absolute sense to me, especially after having my own experiences with it. Because when I took the class, um, the way it was described to me is like, um, the method that I learned was like taking like the aperture of a lens and first it starts out really small and they go through these seven processes to open up that aperture so you can see more and more and more of the target. And from my experiences with astral travel and out-of-body experience and near-death experience, you're actually leaving, the consciousness is actually moving outside the body and going to another place where with remote viewing, we're just looking in, it's like watching a screen and looking into a situation that is outside, I mean, it's outside of space and time, essentially, because you can look back and forward with remote viewing just like mm -hmm. you can do with astral body experience. But I think the difference is with remote viewing, the consciousness stays in the body. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I, I also think to add to that, it's about intention, you know, because there is a form of remote viewing they call ERV where Mm -hmm. you are kind of engaging, you know, you are, uh, you're not with pen and paper and you're just kind of having a stream of information coming in. Um, we're also, when we do sessions, we're engaging our body to pick up the, the senses. So um, if we get a target, keeping in mind that, as you know, because you took a class, um, that you're blind to the target. You have yes. no clue what that target is. And that's what's really important that people should know is that we're given a random number and the number has the intention. So you have the person that sets up the project or the session, that person uh, will put together the tasking or they call it the queue. And it's a secret question that nobody, none of the viewers get to see until they're done with their session. So for example, say you're looking for a missing person, um, maybe the, um, the person would write, um, sketch and describe the current physical condition of so-and-so. Or they could say, sketch and describe the current location of so-and-so. And then they take that and put it in an envelope, put a number on it, um, and then all the viewer gets is the number. And then they follow uh, a protocol that you're trained to do, uh, which is um, created to get you into a trance state and you will just record on paper um, what you perceive and, you know, ask you, you do certain commands to kind of look around the target to get more information. So that's like the easy way to explain how it works. But the information doesn't always come in like a video in your mind or a you know, a film or something. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it comes in very low level perceptions, like you're seeing a light or you're seeing a curve or you're seeing a structure, but you sense that it's man-made and you might be able to sketch out a shape. Um, And that's how the information actually comes to us. And then, um, and that's why um, I say that, you know, we have to let go of what we think is real because you know if i said to you we we use a standard example i use it all the time i probably have to come up with a new one but i'll use this for now but i'll say something red shiny and round and we'll automatically go to apple um, because our mind the way we're wired as humans is to make sense find patterns and make sense out of things but what if we find out that we have red, shiny, and round, and it's not an a- it's not an apple, it's a truck, and it's mm-hmm. probably somewhere near a missing person and could help lead you to find that person. That's where we get into trouble. So in remote viewing, we want to keep with low-level descriptions. We want to just describe things and not analyze it at all. We want to turn off that part of our mind that analyzes everything. Right. And, um, and that's, you know, Joe McMonagall, one of the top best remote viewers. Um, that's what he, he says. If you want to be a world class remote viewer, 
then you need to give up what it is to be human. And what he meant by that is to give up the idea that everything has to make sense. And that is not easy for people because this is how we survive from primitive times. It's how we hunt and gather and, and really how we make sense of the world. Um, but you don't want to get stuck in a session describing a fruit basket because you thought there was an apple there and now your mind's going, well, if there's an apple there, it's a fruit basket, you know. So those are why, those are the challenges and why when people come up to me all the time and say, um, you know, well, why aren't you a millionaire? Why can't you win the lottery? Um, well, there are some things we need to overcome to make this, you know, work really well. If we can find that sweet spot where we can let go of that, then, uh, and sustain it, then we can have a lot more accurate sessions. But I feel like this is, we're babies and this is our way to move forward and keep developing our full potential as humans. One of the things that I learned in a remote viewing class was like taking that raw data, like the, the round, shiny red, we would put that in one column. And then we had, I forget what the, the other name of the other data was, but there's another data column where we would just write apples just to, to get that out of our consciousness. And then the try AOL? To, yeah. And then that's try to the move AOL back. AOL is, right, that's analytical overlay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, we get that a lot and, you know, we just have to learn to cope with it mm -hmm. um, because we want to name things and help describe it. And, you know, um, and by the way, I have to say, people are using remote vi viewing to make lots of money. Um, there are teams that are working on um, financial, uh, the stock market, yeah. you know, whether the stock goes up or down, they're working on cryptos. Um, and sometimes we get hired by companies when they want to know where they should invest their money. They ask us to help them. Um, and then sporting events, um, people are wagering. So there's a whole team of people that are using this method to, so they are getting money. So, um, so that answers their question with that too. Right. <laughs> when you do this, with the team and everybody in the team has the same coordinates or the same number what is it like when everybody compares their data like how often does everybody get the same information and how does it help to combine everybody's information to you know like like say like one person perceives the target from the east another person's getting it from the west or whatever <coughs> Like, like, how do you take all that data and put it together and decide, like, what is the most accurate thing that it could be? Yeah, so um, there are some uh, good things and not so good things about doing that. The one thing is that you have to make sure that when you're working with a team, that you're not uh, cheating, like looking at somebody else's paper. Because we're dealing with kind of like this quantum entanglement. And we might be like, you know, just like in class, we might peek at someone's paper during a test. Um, you might have a tendency to want to know what other people are getting. And so you have to stay clean so you're not remote viewing somebody else's session. Um, so that 
is, you know, just about awareness and staying focused on your own session. So that can happen. Um, the other thing is that when it's clean and people are getting their own sessions, um, what we like about having a team is if we are looking for a missing person, for example, each person brings their own personality or interest into their session. So if, um, you know, somebody is more mechanical, uh, they may kind of be drawn to an element of the target that has to do with something mechanical and they'll have amazing sketches about how something works or what's near. There could be people that are extroverted and love people. Then they'll be drawn to the people at the target. Um, and then introverted means people wouldn't even see the people there, but they might see a building or structure. Um, so having lots of people work together, like you said, is looking at different viewpoints of the target. When you put everything together, you can kind of get maybe more of a 360 degree uh, view of what's going on. What would you say is the percentage of accuracy? Well, it depends. Like um, in this group, Applied Precognition Project, if anybody wants to look like that, look that up, um, they are keeping all their statistics and um, they have a team that you can't even get on the team until you're 73% accurate. Um, so we know that there's a team that is 73% accurate. Um, I worked on some peer-reviewed um uh, we published some experiments that we did in remote viewing where we used our dreams to predict a future outcome. So the manager would tell us to go to sleep and dream about a photo that she's going to show us. And um, so we did 50 trials of that. And um, we were, I think it was like 69, 62 or 69% hit rate on that. So we're happy with anything over 50. Um, I'm also working on another project with Stefan Schwartz. And um, we're hitting like, I mean, we got all the way up to like something in the 80s um, at a certain point. Um, and then we had some misses. So, our number, you know, kind of when you're doing all these trials, you go up and down. And then you have to average everything out at the end. Uh, but right now we're maintaining about a 70 like 75% hit rate in that group. That's amazing. Um, so it is. It's um that's what's so cool about it. Um yeah, it's 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 uh fascinating. <laughs> hmm. Cuz I interviewed somebody who has a um he certifies psychics basically. They they test psychics and and the if the report like a over like 60 or higher they'll list them in his you know as, as a good psychic or medium and he said like uh i mean 60 is a high um rate of hits for just a normal psychic the hit 70s and 80s in remote viewing is incredible yeah, I think maybe one of the reasons is that we kind of have it set up in a way where we have, uh, where everybody's blind. So you can't really be biased in the session. You, you have no idea what you're looking at. For me, 
if if somebody you know you sometimes you can't help they have to tell you something about the target but i always do better when i know nothing mm -hmm. about the target um and i like it that way and most remote viewers don't want to, like you know if someone says hey can you remote view or like don't say anymore um we we would prefer it that way because you know then you get caught on to just assuming and drawing conclusions and and stuff like that um so i i think that's why our numbers go up plus we are doing our intention is to do this to get to collect the data um so people their minds are like you know very uh into the numbers of it and so and they're doing i mean they've been doing it for years like some people like once a week mm -hmm. um you know consistently so that could be another reason with the remote viewing um you know you mentioned things like quantum entanglement we talked about a little bit of akashic records and um what always brings me back is what is this reality if, if is this re how one for this to work for remote viewing to work means that either what I'm experiencing right now as a physical reality is not real or there is more things happening at one time than I'm able to perceive. Do you have any model of reality that you prescribe to? Um, I wouldn't say I, 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 I am open. That's how I answer that. You know, I'm just open to, um, you know, I, I don't have a definitive answer of what is, um, but I can give an example of an experience I had that impacted me to a greater understanding of what could be going on. Um, when I was working, you know, uh, with Art Bell, they would send us a lot of stuff that they wanted us to, um, you know, advertise on the show. And I got one time got this kit. It was a virtual reality kit and it had a headphones, the, um, goggles. They had a little cell phone and, um, and what they were pitching was they wanted to create a virtual reality paranormal TV show where people can feel like they're on location so it was really spooky and um you know I put it on and i was in a really you know old looking house and you know in virtual you look both ways you look up and down everything you see in those goggles is your reality every single thing like you don't know anything different it's not like something's in front of you and you can look over it or under it or around it this is it like this is real and I felt or sensed one of my kids walk into the room and I was like, wait a minute, I can't see him because my instinct would be like to just look and I'm like, wait, no, there's, there's a, a wall here. You know, there is, you know, how do I know that, that somebody just walked in the room? I sensed that they did, you know, my little, my antenna, my feelers were out and I felt it. And that was a huge uh, experience that helped me understand um, a possibility of how we're living 
where what you know you and I talking right here I can't see anything around it if there's um any kind of like interdimensional uh, entities or spirits or whatever uh I can't see them but I can feel them if they're around and that's I guess how I could answer that question is mm. just by that experience interesting um you also mentioned that you do hypnosis. Um, do you do past life regression hypnosis? Yeah, um, those are my favorite. <laughs> um, I love doing that. Um, I also did, I had a fascinating experience um, where I had three separate people. I talk about this all the time because it's so cool. Three separate clients in within a course of a year and in three different parts of the country. Well, one was in Canada, one was in Chicago, and one was in California. And they all came to me, and none of them knew each other. Um, and they came to me um, asking if I could regress them because they felt like they were abducted by aliens or abducted or something happened. And so I, um, I you know, did regressions on all three of them. And the coolest thing was, uh, they all pretty much described the same scenario. And I was just like, what? So they were all talking about, uh, being off planet mm -hmm. in water and they could breathe the water. And they were describing, um, the world that they were in with colors and vegetation and things like that, that they couldn't find the vocabulary to describe. And they were, you know, in trance, they couldn't even describe what they were, you know, what was around them. And I just thought it was fascinating because none of them knew each other. And, you know, they were just kind of random people came to me and asked for help um, because they were, they, they couldn't remember and they wanted to use hypnosis to regress them to remember and I talk about this all the time and then I get emails from people that they had the same experience too. And so I was like, wait a minute, this, there's something to this, you know, because, you know, first of all, it's not talked about a lot, mm -hmm. but when I talk about it, I get a bunch of emails that people are describing the same thing. So, um, that was pretty cool to, to experience. That's fascinating. I've never, I mean, I've interviewed a lot of experiencers and I haven't had any described like an underwater experience to me yet. Right. And to have three right. of those is really uncommon. And many, many people write to me that they had something. So I don't know what's going on, um, but it's pretty interesting. <laughs> That's all I could say. Yeah. It's um, something, there has to be something mm -hmm. that they're tapping into. One of the common things that I have found with experiencers is the um, ETs letting them drive the craft using their consciousness. Which I find really interesting. Like the ETs actually trusting a human to drive whatever the vehicle is they're using. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't heard much about that, but that is pretty, that would be pretty, I would love that. 
That would be cool. <laughs> a lot of times in remote viewing, when we're doing esoteric targets and we are, and the target happens to be a UFO or something, there are always crystals in those sessions. Uh, meaning that maybe some of these crafts or something with um, the ETs or whatever um, is connected to, to crystals and energy, which makes sense. You know, mm -hmm. we have crystals in our watches and I don't think we've really, I, I think there's crystals in computers, right? Mm -hmm. I think gold is in computers and, and I don't think we really pay a lot of attention to how much we do use um, crystals for energy that it would make sense that, you know, there are uh, other people or societies or aliens or whatever uh, that that would be using crystals. And that would be a kind of cool thing to remote view, which I haven't thought to do, like specifically on crystals, um, you know, the purpose or the potential or something like that. That would be a cool session. I mean, that's what they say about Atlantis, that, that Atlantis store all these books and information on crystals. Like crystals were, the, were their main source of power. Yeah, yeah. And that, I did a session on the Baltic Sea Anomaly. Are you familiar with that? No. So um, in the Baltic Sea, I from the satellite, they got a picture of something very, 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 deep in in the Baltic Sea and the shape of it uh, was strange to them and they wanted to know if this was something that was man-made or natural and they had a team of people I forgot their names and they made a documentary and um, they I think they rented one of those vehicles that can go very deep to mm -hmm. try to um, find it to to get some information, but I think they had a lot of problems um, and they only had enough money to rent it for a week. So I think they got down there, got a few pictures, but the dirt or the sand kept hiding everything. Um, so they couldn't get concrete stuff on it. And they eventually want to go back and, and do it again. But in remote viewing, almost everybody says it's a man-made um, and connected to crystals. Um, and um, in my session, I was getting a connection to Atlantis, since you brought that up. Um, some, some of those things were kind of coming up in my session related to the Baltic Sea anomaly. Mm. So um, that was something I, I uh, you know, there's so many sessions we can do. I always say, like, I want to go back in and get more information and then I always forget to do it but that that would be the next step is all right so I have this basic so now you know put the targets in the pile and then just pick one out and hopefully I would remote view it again that way I'm blind um, or even just have some of my students um, you know do it that would be interesting also to see what they come up with have you ever had something come up in a past life regression that made you question something and then you had your team go back and remote view it? Um, no, not specifically. Uh, what we have done is one of their targets was for them to go 
to a past life and bring back a skill from that life that will help them be a better remote viewer. Bam! We did that. It was great. When I when I did my review that remote viewing class, they we did like six or seven targets, and the last target was ourselves, and we didn't know, and everybody just came back completely emotional and confused by it. It was really a weird experience. Yeah, those are the best sessions. They really are. Um, yeah, I've had people where they targeted. In, uh, I was moving to California. And I had no clue that they would target me. Uh, they're like, you know, my session was about where I'm going to live in California. And so I did the whole session. And obviously, you don't get feedback until you move and live there. And then uh, probably about six months after um, I was living there, I'm like, oh, my God, my session. And I went to go look for it. And it was interesting because... I drew a sketch of a kind of landscape with a mountain here and a mountain here mm -hmm. and some water in the middle. And um, I looked up and that's kind of where I was living. It was in, um, we were living in, um, where were we living? Chino, uh, not Chico, Chino, California. And there's a lake, there's a bunch of mountains. And I'm like, I'm here. I, I did it. You know, it matched up. So that was really cool. Hmm. What is the um, <clears throat> most, what, what target have you remote viewed that affected you the most? That affected me the most? That gave you like the most powerful experience. Um, let me think. Um, I, I mean, all of them, I know that's, um, mm -hmm. each, I learn so much from each session that I do, you know, some sessions are, you know, you're helping somebody, you know, uh, missing people or, uh, we did a session before the Olympics in 2019. Um, we were asked to look at like the top reps for the 2020 Olympics. And so that was a pretty profound session, but I didn't realize it until way after um, the session. So I turned in my session. I was perceiving um, there was like two parts. The first part had something to do with um, debris everywhere. And I wasn't really sure if it was caused by something exploding or a weather, but it was a burst of energy and debris everywhere and um it was a land and water interface and keep in mind that i had no clue that we were do doing the olympics and i had no clue who was asking me to do the session so um so i just that's what i got and then it transitioned into um some kind of indoor uh structure um it seemed like computers and people, and I was kind of getting the perception, something like a computer virus or something going wrong with computers or glitches or something like that. And so I handed in this session, and a lot of times 
you're, you're not going to get feedback. Um, and so I just handed it in hoping that it would help. And then in the end of 2020, it occurred to me, like after, like it occurred to me, I'm like, wait a minute, we did a session on the Olympics, but the Olympics didn't happen. And I'm thinking about the session. I'm like, wait a minute. I said computer virus. It wasn't a computer virus. It was a different kind of, it was an organic virus that stopped the Olympics. Hmm. That's what threatened the Olympics. And it didn't put it together until like a whole year and a half later or whatever. Um, so that was really profound to me because you can get your feedback later. But the other big, big, big lesson was that I AOL, you know, I drew a conclusion that it was a computer virus. Uh-huh. Um, I, I, you know, I kind of built a story around the idea that it was a computer virus. But if I would have been able to let that go, maybe I would have been able to describe the actual organic virus. So that's where you get into trouble. It's that's a perfect part. example. Yeah, it's the hardest part. So like you, have to, how you have works. to actually like turn off your actual logical mind and just write down raw data. Exactly. Yeah. But we fight that with tooth and nail. We fight that because that's our, you know, survivors. It's, you know, it's like telling somebody, you know, not to survive something. You know, it's, it's our innate uh, go-to thing, you know, mm. and so you have to, that's why a lot of times they compare remote viewing to uh, martial art because it's a skill that you have to practice and, and, and get used to. And the more sessions that you get where you learn these big lessons, um, then that's what's so great because then you apply it. Um, I'm at the point where this whole idea of an AOL, I have applied to my everyday life in relationships with people. Because an AOL, analytical overlay, mm-hmm. is uh, when you name something instead of describe it. You just draw a conclusion that it's something or you assume. And I realize I do that in life. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, someone could say something. I'm drawing it. A- oh, sorry about that, everyone. Uh, we got disconnected. Um so, since we got disconnected, I mean, we might as well segue right into, you know, remote, we were talking about the remote viewing. Um, you know, when we're, and we're remote viewing, I don't know if it originated there, but, you know, um, it did come from, um, Project Stargate, Project Grill Frame, Grill Flame, and some of those other places with, uh, you know, people like Russell Targ, Yuri Geller, um, Lynn Buchanan, David Morehouse. <clears throat> what do you think the, um, do you think that this government is still using remote viewing? Um, uh, I think that they are using things. <laughs> I'm not sure about the remote viewing. Um, just like, you know, we're working on evolving what we're doing. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that um, the government is working on things, too. And I, my guess, if I were to make a guess, I think they're moving into 
uh, telekinesis and things like that. Um, and adding, um, devices, electronic devices and things like that. Um, this is just kind of my theory. It's, I don't have any, uh, for sure information about it, but that's what I think that they are probably working on that kind of next stage of amplifying, uh, what we have. Um, because I notice, you know, a lot of organizations like the Institute of Noetic Sciences and the Parapsychology Association and other places, um, even HeartMath are all coming up with, um, these electronic things, um, that you can use to kind of enhance what you have. Um, yeah, they're, um, do you remember the God Helmet a while back? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's called the God Helmet. Um, so, I mean, that was kind of a very rough um, idea of, but it was something that they were coming up, and I'm sure that they're working on other things, too. Um, HeartMath came out with a device called the Muse, M-U-S-E, right. and they that helps with meditation, teaching mm-hmm. you meditation. So why not? Why wouldn't the government be using other things hmm. and, you know, testing other other things like that? So do you think that they have a whole top secret department now that's just completely dedicated to psychic warfare that nobody knows about? Um, probably. It makes sense. Yeah. You know, um, it, it, if, it, whether they have the department or they're working with people... You know, it's hard to know because that's not something that they're going to, you know, the uh, Stargate was classified in until the 90s. Um, so we won't find out until who knows when, when they decide to declassify it. Um, I definitely think we'll find out stuff. Hmm. Do you think... That, that even with what, the, 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 what we know about remote viewing obviously has leaked out, I think, through, through some of the people that I just mentioned. You know, that's how we, some of us have learned about it. Do you think that the government is concerned about the misuse of this? Um, I think when it was first, um, when it was first brought out in the 90s, I think they were very because um, the people that teach the method I teach, the transdimensional remote viewing, mm-hmm. um, they were harassed um, a lot um, to the point that one of the people that worked on this protocol uh, has kind of dropped out of society. Um, she just left and is doing her own thing. Um, so, But I don't. I don't know now if they're so afraid. Maybe they're moving on to other things or, um, you know, it is, although it all works, it is um, hard to accomplish. Not too many people can really do, um, you know, something like Joe McMonagle can do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we're still working on it. You know, we're still building our skills and practicing and, um, and they probably, I would guess they have an eye on people, but I don't think they're actively doing anything. 
And, and, you know, it makes it easier with our cell phones that they can keep track of things that we're doing. And, you know, so maybe they are keeping an eye on things. I have no way to, you know, prove it or not prove it. Um, but, you know, it can, you know, if people are using it in with not such good intentions, um, that could be a problem. So they probably do keep an eye on things. Do you think that they had their own counter psychic department? Like, say the the way to for them to prevent people from remote viewing things that they should not. That they have their own set of like remote viewing blockers. Yeah. So you know that's you know I don't know these things for sure. They're all kind yeah. of AOLs or assumptions, yes. but. Um, I would think, I do know that, um, I've been with people that were remote viewing things that, uh, maybe they weren't supposed to be remote viewing and they felt like they hit a wall, um, and that they were kind of stopped in the middle of the session. So they would describe, you know, I just like couldn't get past this point. And then we would just assume, oh, they blocked it, you know. Um, because I know that I teach my students to protect themselves too, mm-hmm. um, you know, and to make sure that the session that we're going to work on is in their highest good. Uh, so we make sure that we have that, um, you know, that we do have protection, uh, because you are working with, you know, we, we don't know everything. Um, of what we're doing and how it's affecting things. We just know it's working. Um, and it's going to take time for us to kind of, um, unpack all this stuff of what's going on and how it's working. So has any, have you ever thought about, um, uh, if there's people out there blocking what can be viewed to counteract that, to counteract the blockers? Um, I got, I didn't think about it because. There are just so many targets I could go look at. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I personally am not after, you know, I'm not after that. You know, I, I'm kind of using it for helping people and, you know, finding missing people and then fun things like finding treasures or mm-hmm. gathering information about different things. I'm not personally interested in going where I shouldn't be going. Um, yeah, I think, but there are people that are interested and I'm sure, you know, they find different ways to kind of get through. Um, but I don't, you know, when you put up a protection, it's pretty strong, you know, it's not really easy to get through that. So, so you wouldn't try to remote view a target, say the secret base in Antarctica. Well, we have, but we weren't blocked. So, no. um, no. We got some information and, uh, we got some pyramids and we got some, uh, kind of crystal looking structures. And, um, I think some of our stuff was aligned with Alinda Moulton Howell's, um, information right. that she was getting. Um, we got these, like, green lights, um, green glowing kind of in this kind of 
man-made structure uh-huh. and that it was um there were a lot of like not I, I guess symbols that they were you know some of the viewers were drawing out some weird looking symbols and stuff Interesting. so yeah we were getting some things that were aligned with with her um her reports and uh yeah Wow. One, I've never actually read her reports on it. I didn't know she had done that. And it's actually similar to what I have had a guest on regularly who who says that he's been there. And he has also described similar things like um, a man-made bioluminescence type of technology and um, Mm -hmm. the symbols and things like that also. Yeah. And that's yeah. been occupied like forever. Yeah. I, I don't um I don't remember getting subjects, non human or human. I was just kinda you know, and I also don't know what time I was looking at it. Um, you know, because you could be if somebody doesn't if they're not clear in the target, like you're gonna go there and report what's currently there. I could go at any point in time right Um, right. so uh but yeah i didn't see subjects there it seemed abandoned to me but it seemed like a fortress i think that is what i said in my session just it feels like a fortress Hmm. so um it was just very protected and you know big humongous interesting Mm-hmm. Yeah, the other thing that my guest has said was that the, he felt that there was some, he thought that there was a, a level that he couldn't access. Apparently, I guess he said the only people that ever accessed it were like Admiral Byrd and um, I think Edgar Mitchell. Mm. And yeah, I think I heard that too. And that, that uh, at, at that level, he said there was some type of, uh, something in homeostasis type of state, something that's ancient. Yeah, that makes sense. Like the thing? Mm-hmm. Could be like the thing. Why not, right? Yeah. Wow. We, we don't know. Yikers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Inquiring minds, do we really want to know? <laughs> I do. I do. I've, I've considered going there. Really? Yeah. Wow. Why not? Yeah, really. Well, but apparently... The, the the drawback is my friend who has been there says the only way to access it is through submarine. So I don't. Yeah, know. this um, who I don't know this guy who was on Linda Moulton Howe's show was I forgot his name, um, but he like he knew the entrance. He was talking about the entrance and. Well, maybe it's the same person. What's it? Oh. Uh, I'll have to find out. Well, the one mine is, was, is Richard Allen Miller. Oh, no, I don't. I think this, I don't know. Hmm. He probably, I don't know. He's a, he, he was, the guy I'm thinking of was a whistleblower and he was in the military and he was on her show talking about it. Oh, and there God. may have been like him and two other people with him discussing it it was such a long time ago i don't really remember but 
Um, you could probably go to her, um, what is Earth Flies, uh-huh. and catch those. And then, or even tell this guy to check it out because he might find some things in common. Yeah, I'll have to give him a call. Oh, it's one yeah. of the places. Those are kind of some of the things that I've always been fascinated about because we can go back, you can remote view those type of places, and you can also review remote view them at different times. Exactly. Right. Yeah. It's as, as specific as the tasking or the cue is, is what you're going to actually get. Um, you know, like uh, somebody asked us to remote view, like, um, you know, something that's in their greatest good from now and then until six months. Mm-hmm. So they specifically wanted to know what's happening in the six months. So we build that into our, you know, secret question that we're going to kind of look into. So, um, yeah, we do that, which is um, very helpful. This week, I mean, this is going to be probably coming out after it is launched, but, you know, one of the things that's happening this week is that we're supposed to be relaunching, you know, the test flight to the moon so we can go back to the moon. And there's been all sorts of theories about, you know, why we stopped going to the moon, especially ones that came from like John Lear. Have yeah. you ever done any remote viewing for the moon? Um, yeah, we have. And a lot of, um, viewers did. And, and Ingo Swan, mm-hmm. um, and he was getting, um, some kind of life forms that a very, very, very long time ago. I think Joe McMonagall, well, he was getting, these structures and beings on Mars, which was um, that I think I'm not sure the exact date that he did it, these sessions, but it was well before we started getting photos of Mars. And what he did was he took his, he's a really good sketcher or he's an artist. And um, he drew on in his session um, a pyramid and some kind of um, alien being thing. And he compared it to the pictures that we finally got mm-hmm. of Mars. And he was able to map out exactly. He compared what he drew versus a picture. And you look at that and like he was specific, like pyramid near a crater. And they had uh, a picture of something that looks like a pyramid near the crater and there's no way that he could have known any of that because the pictures came out years and years later and the same with Ingo Swan who he report people thought he was crazy because he said there are rings around Jupiter and everyone's like you're crazy mm-hmm. but then we got the pictures and he was you know completely validated um yeah that that's um those are such good examples of our potential you used the word potential which i find interesting because i wonder about these psychic abilities if there was something that we originally used as part of our survival in the past and were shut down by governments and religions because he didn't want us to use them anymore. 
Or is this something that we're evolving to now? Or some combination of both? Yeah, I would go with the combination, the combo platter. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Because um, I definitely think that, you know, our instincts, our intuition um, has been in in the past has been amplified. Um, We had used it to survive. And then over time, we replaced our intuition with technology. So like, when was the last time you walked out the door of your house and like smelled if a rainstorm was coming? You know, we have weather apps, Mm -hmm. we just kind of click on the weather app. And so those things, I guess, atrophy, because we don't use them anymore. And um, remote viewing is really good at giving you confidence to trust your intuition. If we did that more, I think people will be feeling like they're more on the path that they're aligned with, you know, walking through their life the way that they're supposed to and not the way that the people in their life think that they should be walking. You know, it's finding your own path by using yourself as um, a, a barometer or, you know, kind of pointing you or a compass even mm-hmm. to point in the direction that you need to be going, not in the direction that your loved ones or people that think you should be going. And, um, and I think again, remote viewing is really helpful to get our confidence up and start waking up these, um, these abilities that we have. And that's what, when we say potential, I think you know, we're so behind now, we're like infants. And um, I think there's a huge, you know, we just touched the iceberg, um, you know, of where we're going to go with all this stuff. And like I said, I kind of believe that technology is going to help. Um, I'm kind of a science geek. And part of me, I vacillate all the time. Part of me uh, when we're talking about UFOs and aliens and things like that, part of me says, no, they're not here. The only way that they can be here, this is the other part, my science brain, is as an interdimensional being. Because I just don't think anything that would be built similar to how we're built would be able to travel at this distance. And so my theory is that in order for us to travel at great distances to other planets and other, you know, beings, intelligent beings, is that we're going to have to be doing it through our mind. And I believe that the technology is going to help us. You know, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of sci-fi movies are kind of coming up with these ideas of creating an energetic portal that can just amplify you somewhere. Or you could sit in a chair and it just takes you um, somewhere, you know, because I just don't think that our physical beings can travel that distance. Um, hmm. it would be really challenging to create some kind of vehicle other than traveling with our minds. So I think there's a couple of different ways to look at that for me. One is I, I do cover, you know, a lot of quantum physics on my podcast. And, mm-hmm. you know, and basically one of the themes of quantum physics is everything is mind. 
that that physical matter is not even a real thing. It's just our mate, our brain is filtering out um, everything that exists down to a limited perception so we can right. actually deal with it and have this particular experience. But ultimately, everything is mind. So if everything is mind, then we're all we have to do is consciously go anywhere and we would be able to do it just like remote viewing or astral projection or anything like that. Mm -hmm. The other interesting thing, like you're talking about it also is technology is merging consciousness with technology. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, we're learning. I mean, we know so much more than we did, you know, 50 or a hundred years ago. We are just so, far advanced in figuring things out and like you said in quantum physics um they don't really quantum physics doesn't follow our our laws of physics that we know of here and that statement just saying that statement is telling you that you know to let go of what you think you know and that's that's like the hugest thing you know so we believe that there's this one law of physics or whatever our laws of physics are, we go by that. But then on a quantum level and the very, very tiniest things, they don't even follow that. There, you know, anything, you know, it's like magic when you get down to that level. It's like magic happening. So um, I believe the tie-in to both, you know, so... Uh, the, the tiniest to what we know now, the bridge is intention. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like intention is everything. It's kind of uh, matching a vibration or, or whatever you want to get. And that turns into like this idea of manifesting where we talk about um, manifesting things. All these things are part of consciousness and it's something working in the tiniest of things that we can't even see. Um, and we just need to learn more about it. And the scientists that are working on it or people that are uh, learning need to let go of their AOLs. <laughs> because, <laughs> because um, you know, I think, you know, having those AOLs put too much limitations on what could be going on. And so, you know, you kind of need almost like a fringe scientist to kind of look into it because they're at least a little towards like, okay, not everything is what it seems. You know, we don't really have the tools to measure these things, um, but we need to be creative and try to find out how to measure it. So there's a lot going on in that. It's very cool. How do you think as we progress and learn about technology and our consciousness, do you think it's also going to change us spiritually? Oh, yeah. I think, yeah. I think that um, when we start doing that, I feel like we're coming closer to this um, oneness feeling um, where we're all connected. And I think that the fracture, like the idea of um, religions that are kind of blueprints for people's lives um, may not be as important anymore because there'll be like a uh, maybe a higher spiritual level, something a little bit more 
um, uh, meaningful mm-hmm. than uh, the restrictions of religions. Um, it's, you know, because I feel like you are kind of boxed in in religion. Um, and if you can also, again, it's the same Zen thing. Just let, let go of what you think you know. Um, because if you don't, you're so limited and, uh, people might decide like, well, you know what? I, I'd like to believe that there's more, more to this than just this, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I've talked to people who, like, my dad was one. He's like, when you die, you die. That's, you know, I'm like, well, what's the fun in that? What's the fun <laughs> in believing, you know, what's, yeah. So I, I think it's kind of like that, you know, it's, um, I want to know and I want to believe that there's more to this and that we have a higher purpose and greater, greater, you know, potential. I do too. And I think like, like you may have an important point. I think to, I agree with you that I think we're going to move away from traditional religion because you know, with people like you out there teaching remote viewing and other people teaching, you know, psychic classes and, and all these different things, it's, it allows people to have direct experience rather than relying on an experience of somebody from 3,000 years ago. Yeah, exactly. I think, um, you know, I, I think there at this point, for some people, there's a place for it. Mm-hmm. Um, it helps them. They need it. They need that structure. So I think there will always be a place for that for people that need it. Um, but the people that are searching, um, those are the people that they are looking for a bigger answer. And I think that over time and we keep doing these things and we continue to be open, we're going to, to find what we're looking for. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Um, so before we wrap this up, uh, is, have I missed any questions? Is there anything else that you would like to talk about? Um, I think that's good. <laughs> All right. Well, before we do, though, where is the best place for my listeners to find you and maybe tell them a little bit about some of the services that you offer? Sure. Uh, so I teach, um, I teach this uh, method called transdimensional um, systems. Um, it's a remote viewing methodology. In fact, um, I was on, if you watch Ancient Aliens, mm-hmm. um, we, there, I'm on an episode called Transdimensionals. Um, so that you can kind of get an idea of what it looks like because they show some of the sessions and what we look like when we're doing it. Um, so that would be helpful. Um, Butterfly is my website. Um, this, um, I know that this is, so on September 3rd, I will be teaching a eight week course, which actually is going to be this weekend. Um, September 3rd. Um, but in the winter, I will be teaching another course. Um, so if people want to, you know, hunker down and take a remote viewing mm-hmm. class in the winter, uh, it might be fun. 
Uh, so I haven't figured out the date yet, but I will keep checking my website because I will um, update all that information. Um, so, yeah, it's ButterflyEffectCenter.com. Awesome. I'll put a link to that in the notes of this episode so my listeners can find you and uh, they can take your course. I highly recommend any type of remote viewing course. Um, one of the things that I really enjoyed about the one that I took was um, how similar my experience in the data that I was receiving. I could compare it to other people and I couldn't, I couldn't deny the results of it. Right. And, and, and that makes me think that there's a lot more possible out there. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, yeah, you have to experience it. That's, that's the whole thing. I had students in my class one time, you know, they believed in it, but uh, they did their very first session and we met back to look at the feedback, the photo that they were viewing. And two of the students just like started crying. I'm like, oh my gosh, why are you crying? And they're like, because it works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it is, it is absolutely amazing what humans are capable of. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, so it's been a pleasure having you on. Uh, again, I'll post the links to your website in the notes of this episode. I want to thank you for being a guest again. And, uh, I also want to thank you for, Helping me with my own, with this podcast for, God, it's been almost two years now we've been working together. Really? <laughs> I wow, think so. Yes. Well, it's my pleasure. I, I really like to support good hosts and, um, you know, anything we could do to help with that, um, is great. And if any of your listeners are, you know, guests, potential guests, they could call me and maybe they need a publicist because I do that too. So, yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you. And uh, just hang on for one moment, and I'm just going to play the outro. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com message him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the cost of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of this page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. by the book Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need. You can find it on Amazon and it will change your life. Because remember, everything that it says was first imagined. If you loved what you listened to today, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Everything Imaginable with Gary Cochulio.